I hope you've had an incredible week and been blessed. Just uh, by way of an update, I was at the building yesterday. You know, the permit that takes the longest, we got that about a week and a half or maybe a little longer than that ago. And that took almost a full month. And then once we got that one, we applied uh, for the fire suppression uh, system permit. They say that one doesn't take as long, hopefully, you know, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen, or whatever, you know, and, and we're just really believing God. And then the fire marshal has been so helpful all along. Once the fire suppression system permit has been obtained, then he needs to sign off on it and we can relocate. Now, here's the problem. I need two full weeks to announce the transfer the problem is, is if we get it this week and, you know, next Sunday, I only have one Sunday to announce it. Some of y'all folk don't come to church the way y'all supposed to. I mean, I'm just going to be real with you right now. And I'm afraid you're going to show up here and you're going to say the rapture done took place and I missed it. And, and I don't want you to have a heart attack or anything, so... I need to give you two full weeks advance notice. Uh, so hopefully I have, we'll have an announcement to make next week. We're just going week by week to make sure that we uh, get all the bases covered. And uh, I, I want to bring you good news so bad. But uh, thank you to a couple of Sundays ago, Mission Sunday. I was out last week in Africa, but uh, this past week. So I didn't get to tell you this last Sunday, but... On Mission Sunday, I ask you to give the funds to complete the next Bible school that we were already in the process of building and headquarters church. You not only did that, you gave enough for that one and enough to build another one. Amen. And I want to say thank you. Amen. Amen. And then this morning, someone gave enough to build yet another one. And God is amazing. We already have five Bible schools now in Tanzania, and just out of one of them, God has blessed us. We have now graduated 3,250 students. They're starting churches everywhere. But within the last, what has it been, the last uh, seven months or so maybe, we have now built an additional uh, four more Bible schools, and let's see, one, two, three, four, yes, four, and are getting ready to build two more. And so out of just the one, God has helped us so remarkably uh, well. And I think that with these others, we're going to better cover the nation. And um, I'm just excited about what God is doing. And of course, we not only cover Tanzania, but it borders Mozambique and, and Uganda and Rwanda and Burundi. That's all right there in Kenya. It is strategically located to help us make a huge impact throughout East Africa and our pastors there are going everywhere, starting all these different churches. I've lost track of it. And, and, and I don't need to manage it. It's for the glory of God anyway. But I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for your passion to fulfill Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. We made a mistake years ago to give that, that particular verse away to denominational headquarters wherever that might be, whatever denomination you might have been raised in, and expect them to fulfill that. And that was not what Jesus did. He gave that verse to one local church that only had 120 members in it. And he said, you, you, 
this 120? You go into all the world and preach the gospel. And when we gave that verse away and the mandate that accompanies it, we gave away part of the power of the church. And when we recapture that, we're recapturing our mandate and part of the power that belongs to the people of God. Everybody shout and say, Amen. Amen. Our text today, Joshua chapter 7, verse 1 through 9. I will not complete this. I didn't in the first service. And so I'll just tell you in advance that uh, um, I'll pick up on it next week. Verse 1, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, a son of Zerah, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. The men went up uh, and spied out Ai. Uh, the last several days we've had a number of our men that went to Jordan Ranch for a men's retreat. They have come back excited and enthused. <laughs> Guys, thank you for going. Thank you for going. And uh, we, ought to have, we, we really ought to have a thousand men at that, that event next year. And um, at least double what we had this year. But thank you for going. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men. For they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel... And they put dust on their heads. Can you see this picture? Their clothes torn on the earth, smeared dust all over them. They're sobbing, they're weeping. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan, O oh Lord. What shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? What will you do for your great name? God, this is not just about us. This is about you and your reputation, your honor. We're in a theme this year, the theme for this year, they'll put that, well, have you got inspired church? We are inspired, amen. But the theme for the year is, and now we take possession. There we go. Now we take possession. I'm teaching on the principles we discover about how to possess our promised land that we find when we examine how Israel came to possess theirs. Today, I want to speak from this subject, when disobedience slows you down. Father, I pray for your grace and your assistance today and that you would cause your word to become enlightened and illuminated in our hearts. We always pray for an anointing to speak, but what we really ought to pray for is an anointing to hear. 
And I'm asking that you would help us today to hear what you have to say to us. This process of possessing our promised land. We will go through everything that Israel went through. And I'm asking you to make those things relevant to us. And not let them be just stories from the pages of antiquity. But in reality what they actually are. And that is a word from Almighty God. We ask it for your glory. And everybody said in Jesus name. Shout it out loud. That wasn't a shout. One more time. Amen. Israel had been defeated at Ai because of the disobedience of Achan. And boy, was this a shock. They had become a mighty juggernaut, if you will. They had rolled right over Sihon and Og, kings of the Amorites on the other side of Jordan come into Canaan's land and then promptly took out the mighty impenetrable fortress city of Jericho. They were on a roll. They came to this little no-name, hardly do-nothing city by the name of Ai and got slammed. When you study the, the history of the nation of Israel, you will find extraordinary parallels between their history and the life of a child of God, what they went through to take possession of their promised land. If you look at it from the perspective of not just reading history, but actually wanting to glean from their particular situations, principles you can apply to your own life, the the things you get are just extraordinary and eye-opening. You first learn there's always a process, isn't there? And possessing your promised land. Make no mistake, it's always going to be a process. If I could summarize all of life into just a few sentences, or maybe, maybe one sentence in just a few words, this is what I would say. Life is about honoring God and getting the process right. It really is. Now, that doesn't sit well necessarily with our microwave drive-through instant success age that we're all a part of. Uh, This generation, this age, doesn't do well with processes, do they? I was all the way in Africa and was checking the news back home on one of the news apps two weeks ago. It was after I'd left and gone over there and and was stunned to see in one of the news reports a lady at a drive-thru window at Wendy's. A drive-thru window now. A drive-thru window because you go there because you don't want to go take the time to go inside and wait on your food. So the drive-thru. Did you get that? The drive through. She got, she felt like they were taking too long. She pulled her gun and stuck it in the face of the cashier and said, you're taking too long on my food. There are road rage incidents that occur all the time. How many of you have ever been in a road rage incident? Could I see your hand? Come on, don't be shy. Raise your hand. How many of you have ever caused one? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have been arrested because you caused one? (laughs) Somebody slowed you down. Think about it. For two whole seconds, 1,001, 1,002, and people pull guns, and they shoot, and they kill, and they will spend 15 years in prison because they, now, now think about it. They'll give up 15 years. Each one of them with 365 and a quarter days in it. 
that are made up of 24 hours a day with 60 minutes in each hour and 60 seconds in each minute, they will give up 15 years of their life because somebody robbed them of two seconds. This world that we're a part of doesn't do well with processes. Yet in life, you don't succeed unless you're willing to, first of all, go through the process. And secondly, you've got to be able to discern the steps you have to go through. Unfortunately, we have been taught to look at success as a destination, haven't we? It isn't. Success in any endeavor, finances, marriage, relationship with God, ministry, building a church, all of it is a destination. Take marriage, for example. People approach their marriage, their whole adult life, like I've, I've spent my life on this journey to find this man or this woman of my dreams, and I get married, and now I have arrived. Oh, you have? <laughs> really? <laughs> Come talk to me after a while. Maybe I can help you. You didn't arrive, you just got started. Because a good marriage is a process. I've been married to the woman I'm married to. It will be 52 years in June. And I can tell you I'm still learning stuff. Amen. That's the truth. If you walk through the process, it unfolds to become something beautiful. But the process is what counts. Same thing is true with education. People think if I get my degree, I have arrived. Really? How many people in this building have earned a degree that are working in a vocation that's not even related to your degree? If I were to ask you to raise your hand, you'd be stunned at how many hands would be raised. People think starting a business, when they start their business, I have arrived, I've got there, I made it. No, when you opened the, the front door and hung out the open for business sign. You were taking your first baby steps in the direction of building a successful business. That's equally true in building a church. This church is now in its 69th year. You don't build a church overnight. You don't build a ministry overnight. You don't. You, you can't do it. It's impossible. Your relationship with God is a result of a process. You get saved in a moment, but this is what Peter said. You receive the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. That is the process of walking this out, you learn more about him. And how many of you know with me that the more you know about him, the better you love him? And Oh, could I hear an amen somewhere? You learn things about the faithfulness of God. You just can't. I wish there was some way to just receive a download. Like at the Indy 500 when they pull in for a pit stop, just download of revelation like, like they download fuel. And you could start, I, Kurt and I were just talking, and, and his hair is a little grayer than mine, and amen, and, and uh, we, we, we've known each other a long time, and I just said, that's a lot of wisdom that's causing all of that, isn't it? And he made the statement, he said, I wish I'd known years ago, and I got started what I know right now. Look at somebody and say, don't we all? When you get saved, it's just the beginning of your journey. You will spend the rest of your life getting to know God and how wonderful he is. And you will discover what we already have found out that have been in this for a while and what we will still continue to find out. And that is he gets sweeter as the days go by. By way of a very quick review and talking about Israel crossing into the promised land, the first city they came to was Gilgal. 
And as I mentioned to you already, that was where God told them to roll away the reproach of Egypt. And you say, what was the reproach of Egypt? If you're visiting with us, uh, I, I mentioned this to those that were here, just be patient with me, but that was the slaves' mentality into which they had been inculcated while they were slaves in Egypt. God never wanted them to carry that mentality in the, to the promised land. You carry that mentality in your, into your promised land, you will turn your promised land into another Egypt of captivity. And so they rolled the reproach away. And I spoke from the subject, how to get over yourself, because really that, it's that, all of that programming that you spent a lifetime acquiring before you got saved that now is standing between you and the acquisition of your destiny or your promises. Then they came to Jericho, and Jericho was this towering, formidable city that represents the strongholds. That once you get rid of the programming, you discover you've got strongholds in your life that now must be addressed, and you have to face them. And I spoke from the subject, the challenge that determines whether you succeed or fail. Because it's up to you to address these strongholds in your life. At Jericho's where you reset your inner programming. You get rid of the junk with which you were programmed at Gilgal. But you need to reset and receive some new information. That's your challenge. It's up to you to now become a student. It's up to you to become hungry. It's up to you to search out. It's up to you to find. It's for you to seek. It's... The kingdom is set up for seekers. It's up to you to knock. It's up to you to ask. It's up to you to hunger. And if you don't, you stay right where you are. And you say, well, how do I reprogram? And you reprogram yourself through the download or the input of the word of God and the principles, just like I'm going to teach you here this morning. And like you learn every Sunday, and this is why I say it so many times, you can never get too much of the word of God. I wish I could hear an amen. You can never get too much of the word of God. Jericho failed, not because of the efforts of Israel. Marching didn't really have anything to do with it. It's because they heard a word from God and believed and obeyed that word. And that's what happens when you get reprogrammed with the word of God. You hear a word, you believe that word, you act on it in faith, and you watch what happens to the strongholds in your life. Amen. Now, this is significant and it's important. The third city they came to was the supposedly inconsequential city of Ai. We're going to learn some things here at Ai that are different than we learned at Gilgal or Jericho. And if you stop at Gilgal and stop at Jericho, you're going to miss out on some hugely important lessons that you should have learned in the course of your progress toward taking possession. The Bible tells us, first of all, that the humiliation of Israel at Ai began with one man, a man by the name of Achan. His disobedience at Jericho caused Israel to be defeated. And if Gilgal was meant to represent the renewing of our minds and Jericho was about being reprogrammed with a programming code of the word of God, Ai is all about this. It's all about how obedience to God opens the supernatural dimension for us to enjoy success and multiplication. I'm going to talk about that later, not today. But it's also about how to get your life back on track when disobedience slows you down. Because they left the mighty victory that they had experienced at Jericho, came to this little bitty city, the name of which means ruined heap. Did you know that? 
AI means the ruined heap. It's what a city looks like after the enemy has already burned it down. After the battle has been fought and the other side won. That's what was left. It was a ruined heap. They didn't have walls. They didn't have a great army. They didn't have great leadership. They didn't have anything. And Israel is on this impressive roll, right? I mean, roll right over the, the, the war machine of Og and also Sihon, the two kings of the Amorites. And right in the Gilgal, man, the machine is picking up momentum and right over Jericho. And now this little bitty city that, that is named Ai, the ruined heap, and they're saying, whoa, we got this. <laughs> Oh, man, because Ai is the very antithesis of Jericho. It shouldn't have even have been a speed bump. It really should not have been. And they're defeated. And they're on their faces before God, and they've lost 36 men in the military encounter. The rest of them have fled because they sense the one thing that they need to go to war is not with them today. That is the presence of God. And they're on their faces crying out to God, God, what happened? They don't even know that there's one man in the middle of the camp that's been disobedient. And the entire nation has ground to a halt. Brakes have been put on because of the rebellion of this guy named Achan. He saw a goodly Babylonian garment. Louis Vuitton. Armani. And 200 shekels of silver, which was a goodly sum and a wedge of gold. And he hid it in his tent and nobody but nobody saw him but God. And they stop. And they can't progress any further because the anointing of God lifts off of them. And there are obvious lessons to be learned from this. Yeah, we know the obvious lessons because you think I'm going to talk about finances today. So a holy hush is going to descend on the house of God, right? And I got news for you. I'm not even going to touch finances today. I'm not going to promise you I won't next week, but I'm not today. Yeah. The obvious lessons are not necessarily the ones we need to take a look at. It's those that are less obvious. We'll look next week at some of those that are a little bit more in your face, and we'll talk about the supernatural door that God meant their obedience to open that did not open because of disobedience, and they got slowed down. And this is why I want to talk to you about on your journey toward taking possession. It's happened to me. It's happened to every one of us. We have been slowed down. How many of you wish you were a lot further, a lot faster than you are right now? Come on, can I hear somebody in the building be really frank and candid? Yeah, don't we all? And the reason that this is such an important lesson is because of the fact there's not a one of us here that have not been disobedient at times. I have, you have. It's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Every single one of us have known what it's like to have the blessings of God suddenly lift and we're out there on that limb by ourselves. 
Let's take a look at the less obvious lessons to be learned at AI first. Number one, at AI, we learned that we really do need God all the time and in everything. Would you say that? I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Israel thought they only needed God in the big situations, right? I need him at Jericho. Oh, don't want to face Jericho without God. Don't want to face Sihon. Don't want to face Og. Don't want to face all these problems without God. But AI, I got this, God. How many times have you ever seen people that accomplish great things for God? Great things in their lives. And then trip up over something so small that you never thought it could ever make them stumble. How many times has it happened to you? To me. Israel's attitude of self-sufficiency got them into trouble when they came to AI. And I want to tell you, when you become overly self-sufficient, you know what happens? God will let you encounter AIs in your life that are nothings. Speed bumps. Where you will experience defeat and loss if for no other reason than to teach you that he wants to be your source all the time. Amen. This is what Jesus said in John 15, 5. Without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Say it with me. Nothing. He didn't say you can't do anything. He said you can do nothing. There's really a difference in those two words that most people do not realize. It's actually subtle. He didn't say you couldn't do anything because we can do things all the time without God. Many of us are doing things right now without God. We can do family without God. We can do, we can do kids without God. We can do business without God, finances without God. We can, we can do so much without God, social activities without God. But this is what he said, without me, you can do nothing. And the word nothing there actually comes from a Greek word that means account. There's nothing in the account. You don't have an account. Have you ever known anybody to go to a bank and try to make a loan? And the loan officer says, well, he introduces himself and you introduce yourself and you say, how can I help you? And I want to make a loan. And he says, well, what's your account number? And you say, I don't have one. And then he does what you just did. <laughs> he laughs. Because they won't do business without someone, with, uh, with someone who doesn't have an account number. You need something of value that is on deposit there. And this is what Jesus is saying. That without me, you can do nothing. You don't have anything on deposit that's of value. You can do things. But at the end of the day, the sum is still nada. Zero, there's no value there. Hello, somebody. Similarly, we can't do things of value without God. I can't do ministry without God. I can't build this church without God. You can't build this church. We can't finish our building without God. Hey, I can't even do marriage without God. I can't. I need him. And I love the fact that God never becomes weary with us when we depend on him. Have you noticed that? You ever seen a harried mother or father who have stair-step children? You know what I mean. 
and they're in the mall or they're in a restaurant and they're trying to corral all of their small children at the same time and they're being pulled on, mommy, 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 I won't take candied apple, mommy, mommy, you can buy me a toy today, mommy, mommy, and you know what it's like, some of you, 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 your kids are grown, but you don't know exactly what it's like and you're saying, never again in the name of Jesus, Amen. <laughs> You know what I mean. Somebody said, that's a wonderful thing about grandkids. They start doing that, send them home. Get revenge on your children for when they did that to you, right? Hallelujah. And you wondered how they survive. My definition of legal insanity is a woman, a mother, that has a number of stair-step children. She is not responsible for a thing she does. I'm serious. If she burns the house down, don't you blame her. She can plead temporary insanity. Raising kids. But the one thing I marvel about God is he never gets tired of his children pulling on him. God, I need you. I need your help. I need you in my marriage. I need you. I need you in finances. I need you in this business situation. We all need him. He wants us to rely on him. That's the beauty of God. He doesn't get exasperated and say, I had enough. I'm about to go crazy. I'm going to lose my mind to the contrary. He says, ask even for our daily bread. That's what he teaches us to do. Amen. We even seek him for our daily bread. Amen. He never gets flustered, never gets upset. I won't tell you a few things that I've learned in life. Like Israel, there have been times that I thought that I got there without his assistance and help. I thought I've been through ministry long enough now, I've learned a few things. You know what I'm talking about? I've had enough experiences and I'm standing because God has helped me get to this point and taught me, but now I'm able to take a few steps by myself You know what? The older I get, the more I look back and see that those steps I thought I was taking without him, he was there the whole time. I can't walk without him. I can't live without him. I can't make it without him. I don't even want to try to make it without him. The wisdom of this world that I've acquired and the experiences that I've had in life, they're only of benefit if God is standing there beside me. I don't want to try to build a church without God. I don't want to try to move into a new facility unless there's an anointing of God that goes with us. Hear what I'm talking about. I really do need you. And I'm going to make that confession in front of this entire congregation. I need him more now than I've ever needed him in my life. And if I'm older and wiser, it has taught me that one thing that I need him. I'm more aware of it now than I used to be. My smarts, my connections, my gifts, my skills, my intelligence, my ability, my talent. It's not where it's at. It's in God. And I wish that I could teach every young person the same thing and every young adult in this building the same thing. Amen. One of the things that I love about God, as I said, is that he doesn't get weary. 
And one reason he doesn't is you look at one of his names. His name is called El Shaddai. Do you know what it actually means? It means the many-breasted one. That's what it means. A mother will understand this better than we men will. But no matter who needs nourishment, no matter who's pulling on him, he's always able to supply because he's the many-breasted one. He can, he can take care of every need. What am I telling you? I'm talking to somebody. I feel it in my bones right now. I'm talking to somebody in this building. Your back is against the wall. And I want you to know you're not without help. You're in the right place today. There is a God that will hear your cry. Number two, another of the lessons we learn at AI that are not quite as obvious is that as believers, we're all in this together. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're all in this together. Like somebody said, we may not have all arrived in the same boat, but we're in the same ship now. Yes, we are. And Israel decided we don't need all y'all. Ah, the recommendation was, hey, guys, <laughs> two or 3,000. This, this city, its name is indicative of its situation. It's called a ruined heap. You guys stay here. We'll go fight. And they made a mistake of fracturing and dividing, if you please, the kingdom, the family of God, and letting some stay home while others went to war. And everybody's got to embrace the same vision for the kingdom to be successful. We need each other. I need you to go to battle when I go to battle. And I need to go to battle when you are out there on the front lines. I need your prayers. I need your help. You need mine. Joshua is discouraged. They lost 36 men because the result of this strategy was catastrophic. We need everyone's help to take possession of the promised land. In English, the words one another are two separate words, one another. But did you know that in the Greek, one another is only one word? It's not two, it's one. There are 100 one another's in the New Testament alone found in 96 verses. Listen, we're told to greet one another, love one another, be affectionate to one another, be of the same mind to one another, provoke one another to good works. Don't judge one another, care for one another, forgive one another, receive one another, serve one another, forbearing one another. Do not lie to one another, be kind to one another, submit to one another. You tired yet? Amen. Admonish one another with a word. Comfort one another. Edify one another. Prefer one another. Exhort one another. Consider one another. Do not speak evil of one another. Don't carry grudges against one another. Confess your faults to one another. Extend hospitality to one another. Minister your gift to one another. Have fellowship with one another. Pray for one another and send gifts to one another when they're in need. 100 one another's in the New Testament alone contained in 96 verses, clearly God is concerned about the togetherness of his body and the value of every believer. One third of these one another commands in the Bible are for us to get along with one another and for us to have unity. One third are for us to love one another. And 15% are for us to have humility in our dealings with one another. One another. And they said, this is what we'll do. Y'all stay home. No need to marshal the whole army. Get everybody up, polish all the armor, get in formation. Nah, you guys stay. 
We got this. Big mistake. Number three, at AI, we learn to pray first rather than later. Notice they did not pray before they went to battle against AI. Now they consulted with one another, but the one they should have talked to is the one they didn't talk to. Now it wasn't the case at Jericho. Israel was very careful to seek God first. Big city like Jericho, of course they prayed. And because they talked to God at Jericho, he gave them a divine strategy. And when they followed that strategy, they succeeded and were victorious. And at Ai, this is what they did. They didn't talk to God. They talked to one another and devised their own strategy. And as the result of following human wisdom rather than the wisdom which is from above, they failed and were defeated, and that's when they prayed. And I want you to see this. I want you to see it. They talked to each other. They prayed. They fought. They won at Jericho. Got that? Talk, pray, fight, win. At Ai, they didn't talk, pray, fight, win. They talked, fought, lost, prayed. You will pray at some point. Is this microphone worth testing mic one, two? Mm -hmm. You pray first and win or lose and pray last. Either way, you pray. You pray first out of dependency and faith or you pray last in crisis and desperation. You pray first because in Christ alone you stand or you pray last because without him you fall. You pray first and have a strong marriage or you pray last because your marriage is driving you crazy. You pray first and have financial sufficiency and be debt free or you pray last and face challenges and debt. You pray first and have the peace of God no matter what comes your way or you pray last and you collapse under the pressure and the stress. The choice is yours. Prayer is going to be in there somewhere. Amen. You talk, you pray, you fight, you win. Or you talk, you fight, you lose, you pray. But one way or another, prayer is going to get worked into the equation. And at Jericho, they learned pray first. I need somebody to say that. Pray first. I know it doesn't look like it needs prayer, but pray anyway. I know you've been getting up every morning for the last 35 years and your life is okay, but get up and pray anyhow, even when there are no challenges on the horizon. Pray, 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 pray. Here's a fourth lesson they learned at AI, and I'm going to close, and that is don't be filled with pride and arrogance. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, Israel became cocky. I mean, they thought, <laughs> we, we're on a roll, man. We, we got this going our way. I mean, we have beaten Og, and we've beaten Sihon, and we, the mighty city of Jericho, we didn't even fire an arrow. And it collapsed. We, we, we're something else. There isn't much chance that we could lose at AI. And it's kind of like they're thinking like 
like LeBron James, you know, if I were to play him hoops, he's thinking there's no way he's going to lose. First of all, I'm not going to play him unless he's lying in a hospital bed in traction strapped to the bed. And even then, you know what I mean? I don't mind tipping the bed over if I have to. They thought two or 3,000 show up. That's all that we need. They, we come around the corner. They're going to look up and see two or 3,000. They're going to all be an AI. They're going to all pass over, pass, fall out and pass out with a heart attack anyway. They, we don't need this whole army. And they got cocky. And as we've got good ch- coaches in this church that will tell you, talk to some of these North Shore coaches. You know when, what they tell their kids whenever they've been on a winning streak? They say, you better not get cocky and arrogant. Because you you got to remember some things. You may think you're all of that, but you're not necessarily all of that. Hello, somebody. And when you get to believing that it's all about you, you're on your way toward decline. And I want to tell you, in life, it's that same way. I'm not beating anybody down. I want to tell you a secret that I've learned in possessing my promised land. And that is simply to say to him, Lord, I need you. I, I got to have you. There's an old song we used to sing, I can't even walk unless he's holding my hand. I can't make it without you. I need you in the morning. I need you in the middle of the day. I need you when the sun goes down. David said that I'm going to pray in the morning. I'm going to pray in the evening. I'm going to pray at noonday because he had learned dependency on God. He told Daniel, you're not going to pray for 30 days. He said, that's what you think. That's what you think. I'm praying. You might not, but I'm praying because I need him. I need him in my life. Hello. Self-confidence is a wonderful thing, an extraordinary thing. And there are so many of us that have had experiences in our life where we were beat down and our confidence was robbed from us. I know what I'm talking about. I know some of you know exactly what I'm saying right now because you're reliving experiences in your mind where you were not allowed to believe in yourself or believe you would ever make anything happen that would amount to very much with with your contribution to the world. You didn't think you'd make a difference. But here you are, now you're saved and on your way to heaven and God's trying to tell you through Christ, you can do all things. Do you hear what I'm saying? Through Christ, uh, help me out, through Christ, you can do what? I, I need to hear you a little bit better. Through Christ, you can do all things. But you see, the key to that is not I can do, it's through Christ. That's the part of that that's significant. And when you come into the kingdom, we want to get rid of that negative programming that will hold you back. But what I want to tell you is that if you're empowered by God, that you can turn the world upside down. That God will give you the power to make changes in your life and in your world. That will result in extraordinary things happening. Extraordinary things. But remember that little part. Through Christ. I can do all things. Through Christ. Not I can do all things. But through Christ. Success is wonderful. 
But don't allow success to create the illusion of self-sufficiency, brothers and sisters. Don't allow success to make you think you don't need him anymore. I said it earlier when I began, you can't get too much of the word. I won't tell you something else. You can't get too much of God. You can't get too much church. Oh, you going to church again? You better know I'm going to church again. Amen. Because I need more of him. More of him. Hello, somebody. There are churches... Look, I'm not, I'm not going to fight with anybody and I'm not one to get up here and, and cast aspersions and stones at somebody else. But do you know there are churches at time, their services, you're going to take exactly 15 seconds to make the open introductory remarks and, and then we're going to sing three songs and that's going to be 12 minutes and, and 40 seconds and then somebody's going to get up and make an opening statement for the offertory and that's going to be exactly one minute and 50 seconds and, and then they're going to take up the offering and that's song that they're going to sing behind it's going to last exactly three minutes and two seconds and then you're going to get up and preach for 22 I'm sorry if you thought I was preaching a 22 minute message you're in the wrong place amen now I learned the human mind can absorb no more than the human seat can endure so I'm not going to hold you too long, but what I will tell you is I need the word. I need worship. I need to be in the house of God. I need to spend some time in the presence of God. Why? Because I can get to that place real quick in my flesh where I think I've learned some stuff and I don't need him anymore. Oh, I would never articulate the thought I don't need him, but that's what I'm communicating to him when he shows up at the normal place where we usually meet, and I don't because I got it figured out now. He said, mm-hmm. Listen to Proverbs 29 and 23. Pride ends in humiliation. Why humility brings honor. Say it. Humility brings. Say it again. Humility Israel would have done well at Ai had they observed what St. Augustine, one of the early desert fathers of the faith, said many hundreds of years ago. He said it was pride that changed angels into devils. And it is humility that makes men as angels. Would you stand with me, please? I want our prayer counselors to come right now. There's a big scandal in the news at the moment. You're hearing about it, the education scandal. Y'all, y'all, y'all been reading about that? I mean, that's been in the news even overseas. The top one-tenth of one percent buying their children's way into the elite Ivy League universities. Y'all been hearing about that? I read where one father and mother paid $500,000 for their two kids to get into one university. I read where somebody else, I think the the final figure for all their kids was $6 million. And they say everything is equal. (laughs) Really? I didn't have a daddy that could open doors for me like that. I walked into my office this morning before the first service and there was this big, big thing and it was obvious from its narrow dimensions that it 
it appeared to be a wall plaque or a picture. And I looked and I saw my name. It was addressed to me. And on the bottom was my sister's name. I have a sweet sister. She lives in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Just loves God. She served for 34 years in law enforcement. Most of that is the assistant to the chief police. She's helped so many people that got in trouble. So many people that got in trouble. So many families. And she had a picture of my dad that's been gone since 2003. As most of you know, I was raised with marshmallow between my toes. And it's my daddy out in a boat in a duck blind in the marsh. And she had it blown up and she sent it to me. And there was my old daddy that I miss so much. He didn't open any doors for me in ministry because he didn't know anybody to open a door with. He didn't open many doors for me in terms of other things of life. He just taught me value and character. You may not have a dad that can open up or a mom that can open up doors for you by paying $500,000 to get you into an elite university. But I want to tell you that you have a heavenly father that if you depend on him. He will open doors for you that your own mom and dad cannot open but wish they could.